Welcome to the last episode of Series 1 of What the Midwife Said, the podcast that's all about how babies and families are made. My name is Leah Hazard. I'm a mother, author of the best-selling memoir Hard Pushed, and I'm the midwife, in case you were wondering. In this series, I've had some great, honest conversations with incredible guests, taking a deep dive headfirst into their experiences of fertility, pregnancy, birth and parenting. That sheer <laughs> being in your mind and in your body and in a horrible place, and then once, one second it's just done. Yeah, and right before it's done, you really want to poo yourself as well. <laughs> yeah, you do. It's so grim. It sounds like... Like, like a version of Wonder Woman lightning crotch. I quite like the idea of that. Perhaps that's my alter ego. Oh, I'm so ready. I'm going to be a woman. I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> and Damien's like, calm down. I'm like, no, but I'm ready. My mummy said to me when I said no, she went, look, lol, if they are offering you this. It means I think you're going to live and it means I think you've got a future. Yeah, you think, how am I going to squeeze out a whole <laughs> other organism from that small place? The first time round, it was... I was saying to the midwife, hey, I feel like I need to push, I need to push, something's just, you know, and uh, it was a lot of, no, don't push, you're going to reverse everything, stop pushing, stop, literally shouting at me. Follow your hunger, honour your hunger. The postpartum period is not the point to start restricting what you eat. I've walked out onto stage in front of thousands of people, I've, you know, I've done all sorts of crazy stuff, and my thing before I do anything scary is, you've grown two humans in your body. Nothing scarier than that. We've explored the way we see our bodies and our relationships, the choices we make as we build our families, and the highs and lows that those choices can bring. No judgement, no shame. Just what the midwife said. And I want you to join the conversation too. If you have any questions, or you'd like to share your experiences, you can find me on social media, at Leah Hazard on Instagram, or at Hazard underscore Leah on Twitter. Just include the hashtag, what the midwife said. Today's guest is Emma Gannon. In so many ways, Emma has become the voice of the millennial woman. In her podcast, Control-Alt-Delete, and her book, The Multi-Hyphen Method, Emma has explored some of her generation's most pressing questions, asking how we can be our best selves creatively and professionally, and in our relationships with friends, colleagues, and lovers. Her latest book, Olive, is her first foray into fiction, and it's a fascinating novel about a young woman who has chosen not to have children, while her friends are all charging headlong into family life. One of my best friends uh, is having her second child, and it's just been the most amazing journey watching her and being there with her and going through it. But I do feel slightly removed, in a way, from that friendship that used to be us doing everything together. And so, yeah, that's what, it, what I wanted to write about, really. I have so many questions, and I'm thrilled that Emma Gannon is here to answer them. It's been a bit of a time, hasn't it? It really has, and it's still going on. Oh. But I'm very happy to be talking to you and... I just wanted to say thank you, really, because you're part of the troops of people that are actually doing really great work right now. Oh, thank you. That's really kind. Well, I mean, on behalf of all of us, you're welcome. It's what we do. But um, yeah, it's it's been a crazy time. And just for people listening in, um, it's interesting for you all out there in podcast land to know that Emma and I last saw each other in, I think it was summer 2019. 
Uh, and I met you in Edinburgh on a lovely sunny day to be interviewed for your fantastic podcast, Control Alt Delete. Um, wow, it just seems like a different world. And the topic of our chat was burnout and what a burnout we've had between then and now. I mean, talk about going out in a blaze of glory. It's been crazy. I know. I can't believe it. And actually, I feel like I want to go back and listen to that episode because what you were talking about couldn't be more relevant to now. And I think the reason we did that episode was because there was an article that came out about burnout and they were only really putting like shiny haired millennials with laptops (laughs) on the cover of magazines and we were like no I think we need to talk about it from another angle um <laughs> so yeah that was oh it was such a lovely day and I, I really miss staycations and traveling around the UK I don't even miss long-haul flights I'm missing just like getting on a train to Edinburgh one <sighs> day hopefully we can do it again I know tell me about it I mean I'm not in Edinburgh I'm about an hour away and um I was hoping to get through this week for something which was I guess, in my eyes, semi-essential. And then people told me there were like police along the M8 and people they knew had been getting fined. And I mean, I suppose on the one hand, yeah, quite right, but it just, it's just absolutely soul-destroying. And we thought we were burnt out then, didn't we? But now it's kind of taken on a whole other dimension. Um, So yeah, my, my life's looking pretty different these days, but how does your life look nowadays? Well, I I guess we're all working from home, a lot of us anyway, that are uh, normally working from a desk or out and about. But it's strange because I think people have this perception of me that I am this like work from home guru because I've been self-employed for so long, but I've, I've not found it easy. I, I don't think anyone finds choices being taken away from them easy. I think working from home every so often is great working from home every single day without being able to leave the house is another another story so yeah just taking it day by day really and you know it's it's funny because whenever I'm doing anything like recording a podcast I'm thinking oh god what is my mood going to be like on that day because it's such a corona coaster or whatever people are calling it but it is a roller coaster of emotion and you know we hit that horrible number yesterday that was in the news about the amount of people that have died and yesterday was a horrible day like a really bad day for absolutely everyone and today feels slightly more hopeful it's it's just ups and downs isn't it mm, it's completely ups and downs and just for people listening in because this episode might be going out in a week or two uh, yesterday was the day when sadly we passed that milestone of a hundred thousand deaths from coronavirus and it, it is just so grim it's almost unimaginable what that number means um, for people over the past year and what it could mean for the year ahead. And I totally relate to you feeling like, what is my mood going to be like for this podcast? <laughs> because I've been doing, you know, I'm a complete newbie at this compared to you. But as you know, I've been doing this over the last few months. And, you know, my life's had its ups and downs sort of personally and professionally as everybody's has. But I think one of the nice things about the conversations that I've been having is that I think it's kind of a safe space for people to come on and just go, yeah, it's all a bit shit. Like I'm actually struggling, but in saying that it's kind of okay. Are you finding that with the the guests that you're speaking to? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a really nice way of putting it, the safe space. I think 
you know, the jig is up in terms of pretending to be fine every day. It just is not a thing at the moment. I think it would be very odd for people to just be pretending to be fine. Like it's, it's, it's slightly odd if people are doing that and I don't blame them if they are, but I'm certainly not in the mood to blow dry my hair and put on my webcam and be like, morning guys, because I'm not feeling that way. But I've actually been working with a life coach for the past year or so. And something that comes up with a lot of her clients at the moment is this sort of guilt of just feeling like you feel awful, but you know you don't have it as hard as as other people. And this double whammy actually of emotion, because you're actually not allowing yourself to feel any of your horrible emotions because you're you're trying to paper over the cracks with, well, actually my life is fine. So why am I feeling this way. And so the shame and guilt that comes with not allowing yourself to express your emotions is is not good for you. So I mm-hmm. think even if your life is okay, but you're suffering, you're still allowed to say you're suffering. Oh God, yeah. And it's uncanny because we were talking about the exact same thing last week. Uh, my guest was Laura Thomas, who's a nutritionist. She specializes in intuitive eating and, and she's a new mum actually as well. And she was saying exactly this. She said, I'm trying to get away from that binary thinking of going, um, you know, being grateful for what I've got and realizing it's not nearly as bad as how some other people are affected at the moment. Um, but also really struggling and really feeling a bit rubbish. And we, we need to try and get away from that. She called it dichotomous thinking, that very binary thinking of like, either I'm grateful for what I've got and I'm really smug or I'm a horrible person do you know and I feel like um especially as women we kind of do this do you think that as well oh yeah definitely I think we blame ourselves for everything we do I don't know I mean maybe I don't want to say it just comes from glossy magazines but I feel like you grow up reading that everything you ever do you should feel guilty for or if you're not being productive I think that's that's a huge thing that's come up at the moment is when you are trying to rest, but actually you're spending all of your rest time feeling guilty that you're not working. That's been mm-hmm. a huge one for me. And realizing that if you're rest, if you're trying to rest, but your brain is actually whirring with all the things you should be doing, you're not actually resting. So, you know, guilt-free downtime is, I think, a really big struggle for women. And I don't want to speak on behalf of parents, but that is something that comes up a lot in the interviews I do, where you know, parents just feel so guilty for having any time to themselves. And I just find that baffling because, you know, you you as a person should be a priority. It doesn't mean you are the top priority sometimes, but you are a priority. You know, you need to make sure you're okay to take care of other people. Mm-hmm. That is really great advice. And I think you can, you know, completely say that to parents, whether you've got children or not, that you know, all of us are valid individuals in ourselves and deserve our own time. And that's why I sometimes lock myself away in my bedroom and Netflix. I think that's completely fine. And you know what, before last year, I probably wouldn't have done that, would have felt really guilty. But now I think all bets are off. And I love how, you know, I'm a keen follower of yours on social media. um, And you keep it really real, Emma, in terms of um, how we need to be kinder to ourselves while also pursuing our interests and our goals and over the past few months I've noticed a lot of kind of cheeky references on on your Instagram and things to a sort of resetting of boundaries and priorities do you feel like 
the pandemic and kind of COVID times have brought a few areas of your life into sharper focus. Yes, definitely. I mean, I I know what you're talking about. <laughs> my, my little little snarky tweets that come out here and there, but I, I feel like um, I love it. I know, but one thing actually I have been doing is I do sleep on things a lot now. <laughs> but I don't really like jot off emails or tweets anymore. So a- anything I tweet is actually something I've like been thinking about for days. <laughs> but um. <laughs> Yeah, I I think what's been really interesting with lockdown is because we're not seeing each other in person as much and maybe not bumping into people. I mean, maybe that's a London thing, to be honest, but I don't I don't think so. I think in most cities that like, you do see people around, especially in smaller towns, you will literally bump into people all the time. And we're not having that social interaction of, you know, wanting to, I don't know, just be polite to each other, to be honest. I think what's been interesting is this transactional nature of the internet where people barge into your your digital space and maybe they're asking for a favor or maybe they are uh, wanting to get in touch because they need something Um, and that's fine I actually think we should be giving each other favors during this time or helping each other out or listening to each other and being there for each other but people don't quite understand that by just demanding something of someone suddenly, even though it's online and maybe you're not expecting a reply, you're still coming into someone's space. And I think we need to treat it as space. And I, I think I read somewhere actually in a book that when someone emails you, it is like someone coming into your house mm-hmm. and you get to decide whether they get to come in and you get to decide when you reply and you get to decide whether you're even going to answer the door. And that's something that I've been working on because I'm, I used to be such a people pleaser and mm. I used to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize the extent of it because now that I've started to say no to people, it's quite funny how people react because they're not used to it and you have to really stick to those boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, I'm so on the same wavelength. I remember when um, Hard Push came out, uh, the woman who was very kindly and beautifully doing the publicity for the book kind of said to me okay I'm going to be offering you these various kind of appearances or visits to bookshops or events and things and what do you want to do and I said to her at the start I said anything I'll say yes to anything just I'm like a camera you can point and shoot me just just tilt me in the right direction I'll be there and in a way on some level that was the right thing for me at the time because I was a debut author and people didn't really know a lot about me most people still don't and that's fine um but I mean it's sort of the the easy road to burnout and now starting to embark on that um maybe another time round uh like you I've realized that actually my headspace is is valuable and I need to protect that and I think for a lot of us we've realized that that's kind of priority in these times when life is challenging enough as it is um that you have to be quite selective for what you allow to be a focus so segueing nicely into one of the the main things I wanted to chat to you about actually today um one of the areas of life that's a huge focus for women of your age and can I can I sort of guesstimate that as being in your 30s Emma is that fair <laughs> I don't yeah. know if you're one of these I mean, people that likes to be coy about that no I I actually tweeted the other day that I'd forgotten how old I was because I <laughs> didn't count my lockdown birthday because I, yeah. I don't think we should be counting our lockdown birthdays they don't count surely but yeah in thirties. <laughs> yeah let's go with that that's fine um yeah so so a focus for lots of women's kind of round about that age lockdown birthdays or not 
is um, the progression of your family life, um, decisions around whether or not to have children and how to go about having children. Obviously, this being what the midwife said, that's kind of a crux for, for this podcast. It's the old kind of cliched biological clock, although I hate that term, um, will we'll allow its use once. And it's really the crux of your first novel, Olive, which I've just finished reading finally, and it is great. Um, and I think that that issue will strike a chord with so many women of all ages, actually. So can you go back a little bit and share with us how the idea for the book came about? Because it was something to do with actually responses you had on social media, wasn't it? Yeah, so a few years ago, I, I yeah, I got a, a, lots of replies to a tweet that I put out. I was going to write an article on child-free by choice women so really specifically a group of women who the group of women in society who maybe feel unrepresented in terms of the conversation around not having children because I think you know women who want children desperately and can't have them is such an important conversation and and probably not out there enough as it is but I felt like I can see that conversation happening and thank god it is but I couldn't really see much on you know, women who have never really thought about being mums or don't have any interest in it or just want to talk to each other a bit more about it. And yeah, this sort of strange thing that happens in your 30s or even in your 20s where these assumptions start. And when you're not interested in having children, and quite unapologetically so, it's really strange. You really start noticing it. You start noticing these comments where people just say, you know, when are you going to have them? Or are you thinking about having them? Or I bet you can't wait to have your own, maybe when you're with a friend's child. And it's so direct. And I just really wanted to write about that because you really pick it up when you're someone that doesn't necessarily want to have children. Mm. And do you think that um, people somehow feel permission to be much more direct about those kinds of questions than they would about other aspects of your kind of personal and biological life. I mean, for example, somebody at um, a family wedding or, uh, you know, just in the park on a Saturday afternoon probably wouldn't say to you, so Emma, when's your next period? Or, you know, like, um, what kind of birth control do you take? But but somehow do you feel people feel comfortable and able to just fire those questions at you about children? Like, when are you having children? Yeah, it's it's just so interesting. Like I've had people say to me, for example, just what type of birth do you think you'll have? I'm like, okay, whoa, <laughs> we really dive in there. Like you didn't even ask me uh, something I was thinking about. But I also think that what's been really interesting with this conversation is it does encompass the other part of the conversation, which is it's insensitive. It's insensitive to say that to anyone, but it's it's extra bad if you're someone that does want children. And so I think that's when this conversation just like encompasses everyone, you know, and that's mm-hmm. why I wanted to write the novel with lots of different characters going through lots of different things. I didn't want it to just be about being child free by choice. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a weird one. And I even had it recently with a financial advisor who said, when you take your year off. And mm. I was like, what, what year off? Mm-hmm. And then I had it recently because we're, we're in the middle of moving house and the estate agent who was showing us around one of the houses um, you know, here's the baby room. This will be a lovely mm. baby bath. And here's the mum and dad's bath. And I was like, 
oh my god this is so in- interesting um so i th- i think i did want to have a slight agenda in the novel just to make it known that it is a bit strange that we do this it's very strange and our society i think is still in spite of the fact that we often think of ourselves as really progressive built around this model of you know heterosexual monogamous couple who maybe are together for a few years and then have children um do do you feel that that's still sort of as prevalent as it's ever been in spite of the changes that we're seeing around us yeah i think it's still really prevalent and i don't really blame society for it being so prevalent because it's if it's something that your mother did and your grandmother did and their great grandmother did you you think well i don't want to be abnormal and i you know i there's been many times with promoting Olive even where I've just doubted myself and been like, oh God, you know, actually maybe I do want children just because of the narrative of it being strange. And and that's something that's been weird to unpick. I actually did an interview on the Times Radio in the and the interviewer, who is lovely, by the way, but she was like, <laughs> Oh, she was like, Oh, I thought that, Emma, when I was your age. You'll, you know, uh, I've got, like you'll grow like, out of it, kind of thing. Yeah, and she was like, "I've got two now, and they're beautiful." And you know, you'll, mm. you'll, I'm sure you'll. And I was like, "Oh my god!" So I think I'm just, I, I've used this novel in a weird way to like be, you know, an experiment <laughs> <laughs> to publicly, um, you know, have these reactions from people and just to show that it's not people making it up. Because I think also people kind of think it's not a big deal. Why do child-free women like? make it seem like such a big deal no one cares no one cares if you don't have children and that is true of course um people are so modern <laughs> like we're not we're not really um in the you know in the middle ages where people don't understand it but i'm just trying to show that there's still dregs of it around these comments i mean i would imagine that those were the kind of responses you did initially get to that question on twitter I mean, you must have been flooded with other women saying, oh, yeah, I've had these questions too. And people ask me all the time. Was that the kind of vibe? Did you get the sense that women really wanted this story to be told? Yeah. And that was what was really lovely about emailing lots of different women of all ages. I had people like in their 80s talking about how, you know, they've never regretted not having children. It just wasn't for them. I've had people in, you know, 18, as young as 18, saying, I just know I don't want children. It, it was really interesting, that sort of range of ages and background and, you know, lots of people all over the world. Um, but the one of the big themes that came through, which really inspired Olive, was not so much the, the annoying comments you get from family, but the fact that their friendships changed. And that mm-hmm. is something I really wanted to talk about in Olive. Uh, lots of people feeling just really sad that they felt like their friends had drifted from them. And this isn't the case for everyone. And it's definitely not, you know, uh, mums versus non-mums and how they can't be friends. It's definitely not that. Um, But it was something that came up, people saying, oh, it's just such a shame I don't get invited to the same things anymore. Or I feel like I don't know my best friend well enough now. Or sometimes I just feel so jealous of my friends, new new friends who are mums because they get to bond over things I'll never understand. And that there was this kind of sadness to that that I wanted to explore. And I definitely, that definitely came from a personal place as well. So mm. One of my best friends uh, is having her second child. And it's just been the most amazing journey watching her and being there with her and going through it. But I do feel slightly removed in a way from that friendship that used to be us doing everything together. And mm. so, yeah, that's what, it, what I wanted to write about, really. 
Mm, I think the book really captures that. And as you say, it's not always just about this one person who doesn't want children and everybody else does. It's much more nuanced than that. There might be people who have a child and are having a lot of trouble conceiving another child. There might be people who have a few children and then actually maybe on some level regret having done that. Um, And I hope that we're kind of heading towards a more nuanced public dialogue where we can move beyond, as you say, the sort of mums versus the non-mums. And we can have these shades of grey in amongst the black and white, which I think Olive does really well. I hope so. I hope so. Because I guess there are these stereotypes still that you've got uh, the career woman, for example. And I know Olive in the book, she does love her job. And I think there are so many shades of grey within these characters. And, you know, there's so many women out there who don't want children and they don't want a glamorous job. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's so many ways of being a person in this world. And I think sometimes we categorise people quite a lot. And I definitely have had comments like that said to me um, when I've said, oh, I'm not sure I want to have children. People are like, oh, because you love your job. And I'm like, mm-hmm. not, not, not really. It's not 100% that. Um, so, I th- so yeah, hopefully we, we are having these nuanced conversations. And one of the biggest compliments of the book, book reviews or anything like that, people are just saying it's such a good book club book because people are sort of getting it all out in their friendship groups, which I kind mm-hmm. of love. Yeah, it's good that that it's been a kind of um, jumping off point for people to have these conversations that maybe they would have danced around kind of previously. Um, and yeah, I mean, just going back to what you said about that comment about, oh, obviously to watch children because you love your job. I feel like that's a really almost like a throwback, like 80s thing to say back when it was almost like you were almost like a sort of working girl, nine to five type career woman, or you were the stay at home soccer mom uh, i would i would hope that we've moved beyond that and especially now you know fast forwarding say 30 years we also have this whole other thing of all these reproductive technologies like egg freezing and ivf which in theory can prolong our fertile years give us other options do you feel like it is now possible for women of your generation to have it all thanks to these things or do you feel like these choices just make the whole thing even more confusing because there are more options and it's more sort of endless different paths you can go down. Such a good question. And I think the more I think about it, and I don't know if this is controversial, but I I don't think you can have it all. I guess you get to make up your version of what having it all means. So for example, and I wrote about this for Elle in an in an essay about how say I never have children. That that's sort of maybe my version of having it all because I've chosen and I know that I'm lucky to have kind of made a choice and and had what I would like to happen play out. I know for a lot of people they you don't get your first choice of what you want in life, but I would say maybe I'm having it all because I'm sort of living a life that I that fits me, but. And I think we need to talk about the having it all thing, because I do think it's a lie that we've been sold. I don't think it's possible. I think the perfect work-life balance is a myth. And it's almost like a stick that people use to beat each other up with. Like, you're failing because you're not having it all. Well, I I literally don't think you can have it Mm. all unless you can clone yourself into two separate people. Emma, I think that's such an important statement to make. And I agree with you. I mean, I was raised in the sort of like tail end of the kind of feminist movement from the 70s. You know, I was born in 1977 and my mother is very 
feminist and very right on. And so she should be and always taught me, you can do whatever you want. You can have everything. You can do everything. The world is your oyster. And that's beautiful. And, you know, I'm not faulting her for that. She wanted to encourage me. But now at this ripe old age, I, my career has had many twists and turns. And I do like to think of myself as a feminist unabashedly and as empowered. But although I'm lucky in where I've gone with my career, and I totally recognize that, I I don't think you can have it all. Or at least I don't think you can have it all without making serious compromises along the way. I mean, I've taken career breaks because of having children who I love and obviously completely don't regret but you know and I've had to take steps back um from positions and opportunities because of prioritizing my family and my relationships and even now I'm really lucky that I have a a day job midwifery which is great um and I can do some writing which is fab but I also have to spend the day homeschooling my child and I make dinner for my husband every night and in some ways I'm quite traditional so I think it's so important that you've said that. And I think many women listening will relate. It's actually quite maddening, isn't it? That we've been told we can have absolutely everything all at the same time. It's almost like a weird type of gaslighting (laughs) to be like, (laughs) you can have everything at once, all of it. And it's like, really? Because yeah, there's only one of me. And I guess I grew up thinking that you could have it all. And I was very excited about going into the workplace and feeling like I could. And I, I kind of looked around at like my Gen X bosses and I absolutely loved them so much. But I, I all I saw was a frazzled woman. I saw mm-hmm. someone trying to be, you know, the best at their job and then also crying in the toilets on the phone to their nanny. And to be honest, that to me, that looked like a woman trying so desperately to have it all and society just not allowing her to have it because it's not possible. And so, yeah, I think we get to maybe have it all like in stages. I mean, I've definitely seen people be like amazing mothers and then go on like a gap year when they're like in their 60s. <laughs> I mean, may- maybe that's having it all, but I think yeah, yeah, maybe it's, it's, different. it's different to all of us, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's really different for all of us. And I think maybe it actually does us a disservice to think that we can have it all in our 30s and 40s because then we get to this age and we think, oh, why do I not have it all? Like, why are the pieces just not all fitting together beautifully? And, you know, what you said about your your Gen X bosses, like it completely resonates. I mean, before I became a midwife, I used to work in telly, not as glamorous as it sounds. Um, I was in sort of like backroom research and production and stuff. And I had just had my first child and instantly hit the glass ceiling because I looked around and the only female boss in my vicinity uh, was in her kind of late 40s, didn't have any children, stayed at the office all hours. And the only people that could go on extended shoots on locations and things were either women who had chosen not to have a family or were okay with never seeing their family or men, many of whom who had families but seemed to be completely okay with that. Um, and I remember this one time, like when I was in the office, I used to always leave as close as I could to you know exactly six o'clock those were my contracted hours because if I didn't get home by six I wouldn't see my daughter before she went to sleep and I remember my female boss saying to me at one point she was like wow you really pine for your daughter when you're here don't you 
And I thought, God, like, I'm not pining. I'm just trying to get home on time. I'm just trying not to let work take over my life. And I think maybe when I realized that I couldn't actually have it all and I would have to make compromises, that was actually a a load off my mind and then things could improve. Do, Do you kind of feel like that as well? I think that's a really great example, isn't it? Because just just knowing that you're not crazy can just be exactly what you need to take the load off your shoulders, I'm sure. Just know, just being like, okay, this is the reality of the situation and yeah. I'm going to do what I can within it. And I mean, it's really interesting to me as well, seeing a lot of my friends' husbands asking for paternity leave and then being faced with their boss saying, yeah, you can take it and you can have six weeks off, but you know you're not going to get your bonus at the end of it right Mm. and then the men going what oh my god and then and then this like tiny little taste that the men are getting of um the sacrifice Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then you think okay at least people are starting to understand that you know there's there there was always a sacrifice for women they've women have always been making these decisions and now hopefully men can sort of understand it too across the board it would probably be healthier for us as a society to actually let ourselves off the hook and say yeah actually nobody can have it all men or women and it's just about creating your own version of what it all means do you think yes definitely and I think this this is really important I think the whole you get to decide what having it all means it's like you get to decide what winning means you get to decide what living a full life means it's it's different to all of us and and I think what's really lovely is whilst I was writing Olive I got so many amazing messages from all different types of women and I felt so connected to all women genuinely sounds so cheesy but I had these like just beautiful exchanges with you know people who are so different from me but both of us are living our kind of path of what we want and you know, if I get a message from a woman who has had five children and that is her version of having it all. And that's not my version of having it all, but isn't it so nice that we can all just be happy for each other and understand that there's no one type of like perfect woman? Yes, absolutely. And I'm so glad you had that experience as an author of having all this amazing feedback from a really diverse readership. To me, that's been one of the really surprising things, but most enjoyable things about writing Hard Pushed and having, you know, a tiny bit of publicity around that is that you realize that, you know, there's actually a lot more that we all in, as women have in common than there is that separates us. Um, and that's really special. And That actually brings me nicely to one of the the lovely quotes from Olive that I was going to ask you about. So Olive, who's the main character and the the narrator, says at the end of the book, and I apologise if this is a spoiler alert for anyone who's going to read it, um, she says, there are things we can choose and things that we can't, but one thing is for sure, I choose these friends over and over again. And, you know, I thought that was lovely. So with that in mind... Was that the message that you wanted readers to take away from all of women and men, that that you can make that choice and that can be okay? Yeah, and I think with friendship, it's such a nice, I, I really wanted the message in the book to be that we can go through so many ups and downs, you know, marriages fail, men come and go, um, me, you know, your children might come and go, you know, you might be in an empty nest and your children aren't there anymore and they've gone to university or they've gone to school but your friends your friends will be there if you have a close group of friends you only need one you only need 
you know, one person who you can count on that. I think friendship can be so solid like that, especially between women. And I think that was just the core of the book for me is that there are so many things that we can't control, but I think we can control who we're friends with, or at least not control it, but we can set the foundations to have someone that doesn't really go away and doesn't leave you. And I just, yeah, I wanted to write about that, I think, because, you know, I when you have lots of women in a group, you're all going through so many different things. And to have been there when, you know, people can't get pregnant or they are having fertility problems or one of them decides, actually, I don't think I'm going to do more IVF. I think you need your friendships during all of that. Absolutely. I think that's lovely. And that's something for us all to remember whether we have it all or we don't, is that friends are a real constant along the way, um, women or men or whoever is in your special group. And that will bring us as well nicely to the question that I ask all guests at the end of the podcast, although I would love to talk to you for hours about so many other things. Now, usually because this podcast is called What the Midwife Said, I ask the guest if there's something, some comment that a midwife or other kind of health practitioner has said to them that really stayed with them, either good or bad. But um, I know you don't have children, so you've not been through that service. But on today's topic of people asking you about having kids and stuff like that, can you think of like any one particular comment um, maybe a kind of snarky comment or a real word of wisdom that somebody said to you about choosing to be child-free that you can share with us? Yeah, there's definitely an Elizabeth Gilbert quote somewhere, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I can't remember it word for word, but she was saying that there are so many different ways to be motherly or be maternal, and you don't have to have a biological child necessarily to pass on that sort of nurturing, nourishing side of you. So... I think that's a nice message to pass on. And even if I don't have children, I hope I can play some part in my friends' children's lives. And that brings me a lot of joy. You've brought, I think, all the listeners a lot of joy just by expressing those thoughts, Emma. So thank you for that. I think that today and in your writing and your podcast, you voice a lot of things that um, sometimes we're not always brave enough or comfortable enough to voice. So thank you for that. And thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for everything that you do, including this brilliant podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of What the Midwife Said, hosted by me, Leah Hazard, and produced by Steve Bland at Bambi Media. I hope you loved my chat with Emma Gannon as much as I did. Please get in touch if you have anything to say about our conversation. Please do remember to review and subscribe to the podcast so that other listeners can find us. Share your thoughts on social media using the hashtag WhatTheMidwifeSaid. Let me know what you think. This is the last episode for a while. Thank you so much for joining me. And don't worry, we'll be back soon. Drop me a line in the meantime and stay tuned for more What The Midwife Said. That's it.